So in this section, Father James, we wanted to have a look at effectively the second half of this new instruction from the Congregation for Clergy. And, you know, I, I think as, as you'd mentioned earlier, it's so important when we read documents like this instruction to, to think about what's in the hinterland. Um, certainly the document itself and, and the accompanying reflection from the Undersecretary make it clear that everything that's in there should be read in light of both the preceding instructions uh, in 1997 and 2002, and also some of the key texts, uh, such as Evangelii Gaudium, Evangelii Nuncianum, and Lumen Gentium. Uh, so those those need to be in the backs of our minds as, as we're reading yep. all of this, as well as an appropriate understanding of canon law, that, you know, it's the riverbed, not the river. It's giving us the guardrails, not trying to specify every single aspect of the how. Uh, but, you know, when I was, when I was reading this, there, there's a, a motif that comes through where it's very clearly trying to ensure that we don't clericalize the laity or secularize the clergy. But there's a number of insights that are just so helpful. And I, I was curious, you know, with, with your your experience of leading a parish uh, who you know, made that journey from maintenance to mission, as well as having worked for the last three years at the diocesan level supporting parishes trying to make that journey, what insights struck you as particularly helpful? Well, the the second section, which is is more canonical, uh, we can take take a big hint from the from the title of it. It's from the conversion of people to that of structures, and. You know, the ultimate goal is the conversion of people, not just the people we're called to reach, but the conversion of, of faithful Catholics, the conversion of, of pastors, that we have to have that missionary conversion. But sooner or later, we're going to come, come up against the question of structure, because the mm -hmm. question is, is our, do our structures or ways of doing things, do they facilitate the mission or hamper the mission? Mm -hmm. And as someone once observed, often the very things we create to, to support the mission, the they become the mission themselves. Like to sustain the means to mission become the mission, become the end point. And sadly, that's what we see often in many places is that people rally like never before with great zeal and passion and effort to, to maintain structures uh, that are failing the mission. And so I think it's great that it, that it contextualizes that in this way. It, it gives us a great quote uh, from Evangelii Gaudium. They basically say that... Um, affirm this, there are ecclesial structures that can hamper efforts at evangelization, yet even good structures are only helpful when there is a life constantly driving, sustaining, and assessing them. Mm. Assessing them. Like, like we need to constantly assess. Into every parish leader right now, if you're in a situation uh, like I am in my new parish where we've got the structure, a, a parish that used to be four parishes, all these buildings, we got to begin with assessing them. Like, are, are they actually helping us to fulfill our mandate? Or are we handcuffed by a sense of nostalgia and memories of the past? Are they going to serve us going forward? Do we need to be able to give that assessment? Part of the document says, without new life and an authentic evangelical spirit, without the church's fidelity to her own calling, any new structure will soon prove ineffective. And that's Evangelii Gaudium. And, that, and what a tragedy if after all the pain and, and the work of, of changing structures, if we simply end up with more of what we had before, we may, it might not be as precipitous the decline, but we're good, we just continue to decline if we don't have that internal renewal. The other thing this document mentions is, is the importance of, of parish priests, the pastors, uh, who are co-workers with the bishop in a very special way, the document says. And it says this, that pastors must resolutely grasp the need for a missionary reform of pastoral action. Now, this has been a big passion of mine for many, many years. 
And especially through Divine Renovation, I've been able to, to travel and speak in, in many places to groups of priests. You know, it doesn't really work to stand in front of a group of priests or for a bishop or anyone to speak to a group of parish priests and say, you must resolutely grasp the need for missionary reform of pastoral action. You must resolutely grasp that. There will be some who will grasp it, some who will struggle with it, and some who will just, this makes no sense. And, and thus, we've got to be very careful about this. We need to cast the vision, speak about the why, but let's not wait for everyone to resolutely grasp it before we start doing something. Let's identify the pastors, the parish priests who do grasp it and work with them in perhaps a slightly different way than we would with some of the others. I was struck also that the, the document speaks into the, the whole sensitive area of um, parish assignments and you know, durations of those. Uh, you know, it, it was one of the things as, you know, someone who's, who coaches pastors and, and has the privilege of walking alongside them and their leadership teams, uh, it is so helpful for a parish community where, you know, accepting that extraordinary things can occur, the pastor remains at the service of, mm. of the diocese and his bishop, but in the normal course of events, having a sense that, yes, the, you know, the pastor, all of the things being equal, will be there for five years plus and that, that it's a long-term assignment can be so helpful for the kinds of transformational change, for the kind of pastoral conversion that this document in Visage. So it was great to see that called out, mm. and and there's almost a you know the presumption that long term where it can be achieved is is really helpful. It's actually always been in canon law. I mean, canon law. I mean, if you go back to the the forties and the fifties, we we had a priest in our diocese in an area now that's the, there's a bit very uh, rural, but used to be a bustling. Um, mining town in um, many, many years ago. And he was a young priest who was sent there. He was very unhealthy and was, wasn't expected to live. He ended up being the pastor for 65 years. <laughs> that's a long-term <laughs> assignment. I mean, that's a long-term <laughs> assignment. Because the presumption was when you were named pastor, you, you were there for life. And you know, it's the reason why, why we're called father. I mean, think about it. I mean, you imagine you had a different father in your house every five years. How would, that would kind of mess you up. And there's no wonder we're, we're kind of messed up, you know? So, so, there is in church law and in church practice, uh, long-term, a presumption of long-term placement when you become a, uh, when you're named a pastor. But in practice, since uh, the 1970s, perhaps in most of Europe and, and North America and, and elsewhere, you've got a much more frequent, uh, uh, moving, moving priests much more frequently and, and less time. And I love the fact that this, document really stresses uh, that we should go back to the presumption of long-term leadership and sets a kind of a, uh, okay, if you got to move someone, if, if you have to, let's at least have minimums of, of five-year placements. And, and, and in most diocesan re re realities, you know, you can't leave everyone long-term. There's always, you've got to deal with life, you've got to deal with problems. But can at least we say, can we identify, you know, those pastors who grasp the and know the need for missionary transformation of our pastoral activities can you at least leave them a bit longer because this missionary transformation conversion we've experienced in our own life in the parishes we we work with it takes time mm. it takes time and if you if you there's one sure way to defeat it that's to move the pastor is just as things are getting going you 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 hit the reset button and you go right back to where you started. In fact, you're even more soft than where you started because you've taught people uh, not to bother 
dreaming dreams or working hard to try to turn things around because guess what you pour yourself out for this vision and then you're just going to have a new pastor who will dismantle it all and so it it takes the wind out of people's sails for sure so i was delighted to see that and also there was a hint in there also about about um transference of leadership say some more well, it was under the context of of retirement, you know, the retirement age of priests. But but they it did give this hint that perhaps in some parishes you might actually send a younger priest in for to be mentored for a period of time, so that you could transition out and that the parish could be handed off. And and this is again, would it be possible to do this in every single parish? Absolutely not. If you've got a parish that's actually moving in a missionary direction and got momentum. And there are times when you do have to change the pastor, then succession planning has got to come on our radar. We've got to be start being good at this as a church. And the fact that this document actually names that, I'm very excited about. And I know in, in you know, we, we, we're privileged to work with bishops and, and dioceses around the world. And I know one thing that for them has come into sharp relief over uh, the past couple of years is, is actually they can't treat their entire presbyterate in exactly the same way as though they were all coming from exactly the same context. There, there will be some parishes who, if they start to lean into this this primacy of evangelization, some parishes will, will get going faster than others. Yeah. And actually, they need different kinds of help. That's right. They need a different approach to pastoral assignment. They actually need sometimes different operating parameters. And so that there are there are hints in this document that allow us to lean into those spaces and mm. make it clear that they exist. And that's helpful because then we can be creative yet faithful in how we respond to the the individual circumstances on the ground. It's very necessary, just as, you know, this document is saying we want unity, not uniformity. Like uniformity is not a Catholic principle. That's the case for the universal church, but it also needs to be the case within a diocese. Mm. We don't want uniformity. We need clear vision. We need clear guidelines. And to recognize that we, if you talk about a, a pastoral plan, what we encourage when we do speak to bishops and work at the diocesan level is to have a mul- have multiple plans, have mm-hmm. sub plans for for different kinds of leaders, mm-hmm. uh, because um, this one size fits all thing generally <laughs> it has a general effect that that nothing really happens. The people who do have the capacity to lead the kind of change are basically pulled back, mm-hmm. uh, because so much time and energy goes into working with the people who are. Who are struggling, or maybe, you know, gr- you know, really have difficulty with the vision of being a, a missionary church, because all of our training, of our formation in the seminary, our theology. I mean, we were we were trained as shepherd teachers, and and the shepherds are are not inclined to leave the ninety nine to mm. go in search of the one. It's just not how we're hardwired. Mm. I was struck also uh, in terms of you know if, if you're a shepherd you got to think about you know in, in in what units do you manage your sheep you know how do you how do you organize to care for the sheep and the document has some interesting reflections around the fact that there are there are some some real variety of choices around the different types of pastoral units yeah. I know that that's certainly something in this diocese that we have seen we see it in other dioceses we work with what were your thoughts around that well this is a huge issue in many ways this is one of the principal reasons why I wrote my new book you know the, the book has a whole uh, section once you move from vision to a section on on structure because there is this interface between the parish and the diocese you know you can't have long lasting fruitfulness at the parish level if you don't have missionary transformation at the level beyond yeah. the parish that's why my book new book is called beyond the parish and and the question of structure is you know in a parish 
a pastor and his collaborators can legitimately change the structure within a parish, but you inherit a structure that can only be fundamentally changed at the diocesan level. And so the fact that we've got this, you know, out dated structure that comes to us from, you know, the, the post-Second World War period, especially in, in Europe and in North, North America, where 90% of Catholics went to church. You had a burgeoning population uh, concentrated off, often in the urban, urban centers before they moved to the suburbs and the fall off in the practice of the faith, the demise of, of, of um, culturally based and language-based parishes, et cetera, et cetera. We're left with the structure. And so how we do this is critical because structure is either going to facilitate ministry, leadership, all the things that bring life, or it can kill you. And I've seen it. I've experienced it. I, I would say that in the vast majority of, of, of dioceses, the structure, what we've created, the solutions that we've, we've, we've run after to deal with these problems, uh, some of them can be the cure can be way worse than the problem. They can, in, instead of removing the causes of, of lack of health, they can, they can um, just increase them. And, and so uh, I think a couple of things are really, really important. Um, the document mentions all of the options that are out there. It doesn't really evaluate them. Um, and I, cer I certainly have some opinions on it, but the, the, the question, one of the issues is sustainability because if you don't have a healthy leader and the document goes at great lengths, and I think this is one of the, 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 the purposes for this document to come out is that, that you can't reduce the pastor to being simply a team member or one among a group. Now, we, we, we speak about uh, shared leadership leading out of a team, but Make no mistake, the pastor is the pastor. It's not. It's not just you know one voting member among among others. And so you've got the leadership role is definitely in in the person of of the of the pastor. If he's not healthy, he's not going to lead a healthy team and not going to have a healthy parish. And and that's everything about sustainability. So if you've got you know five finance councils and five parish councils and five this and five that and effectively the structure that's not working we've just multiplied it by five this is a major problem you're never going to have spiritual fruitfulness if you don't have health um, the other thing too is, is is something the document really strongly warns against is you know the lack of clear leadership so i think we really need to take this principle that's in this part of the document and apply it to our models of restructuring so for instance suggestions around uh, gathering groups of parishes together, uh, each with with parish priests, and possibly even naming a moderator who is a kind of primus inter pares. The document actually uses that language: the first among equals. So you're you're kind of the leader, but you're really not. You're leader in name only, but you've get you're really not. It's like that can be great for things like you know, scheduling reconciliation liturgies or scheduling vacation or mass changes. But in terms of the bold move of a parish, the, the conversion of a parish in a missionary direction, it's never going to happen. It's never, it, you need leadership. You need a clear leadership. 
Another thing I was struck by was the document's reflection on uh, the role of the laity and that, that vision for the role of the laity, not just participating in the sacraments, serving inside the four walls of the church, but you know, it calls on uh, the laity to make a generous commitment of their mm. lives, both in terms of their witness, day-to-day ordering all things to, to the kingdom of God. It also, though, speaks to how in a particular way the laity are called to place themselves at the service of the parish and the service of this mission mm. of evangelism. Evangelization. Now, that, you know, it's certainly for us as divine renovation is, is familiar territory, but we also know that when we start journeying alongside parishes, many pastors, many uh, folks in the parish go, well, what does that mean? And I, I was just so encouraged, you know, we'll, we'll look in one of the later sections at, at how we help parishes bring that to life, but I was so encouraged to find the document speaking into uh, a vision and drawing on canon law to point out that we have an option where we can respect everything that is proper to the ordained priesthood and also truly call out the gifting and the charisms of, of all the baptized. And, and there's a fruitful joining together of those two things. Absolutely. As long as we avoid the, what they say, the, the, the clericalization of, of, of the laity. And that's, I think we can be perhaps a bit maybe cynical and say, oh, they're just being really protective and all this. But it's it's not, it's not, I think reading it simply has, as about being protective of power or authority. I think we do a real disservice because I've seen that model and generally the clerical model of ministry does not work. It, it's not, it's not a multiplying model. And so can, can the, the lay, the laity of the church exercise real leadership and, and mobilize people? Yes, they can, but, but let's, let's leave the, 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 those clerical modes of, of ministry to the, to the priests and deacons and bishops who are ordained to do that. And what we'll have a look at in the next section is is some of, you know, if, if those are the, some of the opportunities that the, the this section document gives us, what also are some of the places where we find it's either silent or some challenges? So let's have a look at that next. Mm-hmm.